Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. You got a Bible? Um, why don't you find your way to Genesis? I'm going to read a verse or two in Genesis 1, but primarily I'm going to read from Genesis chapter um, 11 as we start. Um, what, happens when you, um, what happens when you read a book, you get really into a book, it's a novel or something, you're enjoying it, and you get a good third, maybe even halfway through, and then life happens, Right? And then uh, you don't have any time for reading. And, you, and, and a week goes by and you don't get to pick it up again. And then another week goes by and you still don't get it. Finally, you get a free hour or two and you say, oh, I got to dive back into this book. And you pick it up and what? You have no idea uh, what's been, you know, you don't even know who these people are in the book. You've totally lost the narrative and you have to start over. Well, to some degree, that's what we're doing as a church. Uh, you, you know, you can get lost uh, in the Bible in Ezekiel, and um, it's good uh, every now and then as a church to go back to the beginning, right? To recapture the narrative right from the beginning of the Bible. So we started at the beginning of Genesis. We've um, talked about how God created uh, the heavens and the earth. We talked about the rebellion of man in the garden, though given every opportunity and every glorious thing by God, man walked away and said, no, we choose autonomy. We can care for ourselves better. The disastrous results of that, we're told that God intervenes. God comes into the garden. He finds um, his wayward, just as we sang about. He runs, he comes to them. He pursues um, them, even in their um, defiance of him. Um, he promises that uh, the seed of the woman will, uh, though she will be assailed by um, uh, Satan, by uh, the power of darkness, uh, it will strike at her heel, that, uh, that her seed will crush the head of evil um, in this world. And then we read about the effects of their rebellion, though, when their oldest son, Cain, kills um, his brother, Abel. Uh, right away, just the horrific uh, effects of rebellion against God. In fact, the earth grows so bad that, uh, that, that God's judgment falls, the earth is destroyed in a mighty flood. God uh, saves one family and, um, uh, through, uh, through Noah and uh, through his wife, uh, his wife Joan. <laughs> Joan of Arc. And... Um, <laughs> Somebody actually told me that this morning, and I, well, anyway, and, um, and, and so here we find uh, sort of, we're come to Genesis chapter 11, and we'll just kind of see again the, the fruit of, uh, of man's rebellion uh, against God. So there we go. Stand if you're able, and we'll read starting at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So here it is, very beginning, first chapter of the Bible, very beginning of the Bible, what does God say? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, 
have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves over the earth. There's God's charge uh, to his creation. And that's a context in which we read what happens in Genesis chapter 11. We're told that now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. That's modern day Iraq. Uh, And they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for himself. So by the the way, this is uh, what we're about to read is a very condescending um, comment by God. He says, come, the, the people of the city said, let us build a city and a tower that will go all the way up to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we'd be dispersed over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. In other words, they built such a high tower, you know, you could see it from outer space. But the Bible says, God came down to try to find it, you know, the the tower they were so impressed about. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us go down there, confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This then is the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inspired word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but not the word of God. No, the word of God stands forever. For that, all God's people rejoice. You may be seated, please. So here's the question. Why do you exist? Why do you exist? Why do you have a place on this planet? Why did God make you? Do you have missional clarity? Do you know what you're supposed to do? Tomorrow when you wake up, God gives you the kindness that you wake up tomorrow, and you put your feet on the floor, what are you going to do? How are you gonna spend tomorrow? What's the purpose of tomorrow? And then Tuesday, what's the purpose of Tuesday? And then Wednesday, what's the purpose of Wednesday? Why are you here? Why did he make you? There's no question that we're active, we're busy, right? We're hustling, we're working hard. At the end of the day, perhaps we spent ourselves, we collapse into bed, we're exhausted, but all towards what? What's the aim? What's the goal? What's our mission? What's the purpose? Have you lost the narrative? You're in the middle of the story, but you don't know, you, you, you've forgotten the storyline. You know, is your vocation, you go, go to your job, whatever it is. Maybe you're a, a school teacher. Maybe you're in, in building trades. Maybe you're in air conditioning. You know, um, maybe you're working in a restaurant. Um, maybe you're in insurance. Whatever it is, whatever you do, do you know why you do it? Do you know the purpose for which um, your vocation? Education, you do homework with your kids, right? That's so much fun. Homework with the kids. Um, 
Why? Why are you seeing to the education of your children? What are they being educated for? What's the ultimate end of their life and your parenting? What's the ultimate end of your leisure? Why do you take time to rest uh, and enjoy and travel? What about retirement? What's the purpose of your retirement? I am retired and the aim of my retirement is to accomplish what, right? Wealth management, um, health management, all of life should be aligned according to our mission. Do you know what your mission is? You know, um, we um, read an article, just read an article circulated among some of our staff, written by David Brooks, who was in the New York Times this week, about the, the, the struggle of boys and men in our culture. Um, it's really, uh, it, boys and, and men are not faring um, well. Um, Gosh, they're not faring well academically. It was something like um, of the 15 top law schools and their law review, uh, the, 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 the sort of highest honor uh, to all the law school, every one of them is filled by a woman. Um, boys are not faring well. I think um, it will soon be, uh, maybe this year, 65% of college students will be women, 35% men. I mean, you could just keep going down the line. Men are not faring well in the workplace. They're not faring well uh, in their families. Uh, the number of homes without uh, men is astounding. Um, they're not faring well in mental health, drug addiction, far more uh, of, of men. And one of the things he said, okay, so what about all this? What seems to be the problem driving some of this? They, they have no mission. They've lost their role. When they get up in the morning, the incentive for, for, uh, for, for, um, for a mission is there. They're lost. They're confused. Do you know what your mission is? Mission clarity. It's an awful thing. I mean, it's one thing to be in the middle of a book and lose, you just start over, but you, it's hard to start life over, isn't it? To be in the middle of your story and not even know what the story is, right? Can you imagine? I mean, I understand existentially. Um, There's this incredible story. If they were to give man of the year, for 2022, 2023, man of the year, if, if, if it was somebody evil, evil person of the year, then who do you think it might be? No, not Nick Saban. Um, <laughs> be Vladimir Putin, right? And if they were to give a man of the year, um, uh, the opposite of that, it would be President Zelensky of Ukraine. I'm just guessing. And uh, this is an amazing story. So this President Zelensky, Vladimir Zelensky, was, um, he was an actor. He was a, a TV guy. He did some movies. He was the voice of Paddington Bear in, uh, for that movie in Ukraine. He, um, he was a silly uh, person. He, um, he, he, he was like Michael on The Office, you know. He was... Um, uh, in fact, they, they had a comedy show in which he was a history teacher, and uh, in, in teaching high school students, he made a, uh, this, is in, this is in the show, this is in real life, in the show he was in, uh, as a high school teacher, acting, you get it, he was an actor, uh, as a high school teacher, history teacher, he goes on a rant about corruption in the government, one of his students films it, it goes viral in the country, and the country elects him president. That was a TV show. Now he's president. That's not a TV show. And in February, 
The great bear came knocking at the door, right? Russia, and this man has galvanized his country. Do you know that, that what happened in his life? At that moment, he got what? Missional clarity. There's no doubt for him and every Ukrainian when they wake up in the morning, they have one mission, right? One agenda in securing their sovereignty. Um, listen, if you're a leader of any kind in Southwest Florida, when you woke up on Thursday morning, you had missional clarity, didn't you? Is that as many hours as I can spend every day with all the energy and all the ingenuity I've got, uh, my job is to re-knit this community, right? Missional clarity. How about you? You know, sometimes in a life there comes a moment where, where the fog rolls away and you recapture the narrative. It's happened in my life. It's happened a couple of, of times. And I want to know, do you have the narrative? Do you know what your mission is? If I were to say right now on that bulletin, in one line, write out what your mission is. Could you do it? Would it be a worthy mission? That's what we're going to talk about. What's the mission? How do you lose it? How do you recover it? Ready? Here we go. Take your sermon outline. First thing, mission lost. But first of all, we want to just say, what is the mission? What is the mission that God assigns uh, to those of us he created and placed on this planet? We started our Bible reading, reading about it in verse uh, 27 of chapter 1. So God created man in his own image, right? God created us, God blessed us, and God said to male and female, uh, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and what? Fill the earth. That's the mission. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all living things that move on the earth. So here's the mission. I made this earth. I made you. Why did I make you? To be my co-regents over heaven, uh, over the earth, so that um, I want this earth to flourish. So I want you to fill the earth with people who know me and love me so that my creation flourishes. There's the mission. There's the mission. It's in the very first page of the Bible. If that wasn't enough, guess what we find in Genesis chapter 9. After God destroys the earth and uh, leaves Noah and his family, God makes it very clear to them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And if that wasn't clear, just six verses later, God says, be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply. Here it is three times, first nine chapters of the book of Genesis. God could not be any clearer. This is your role. You act in my stead. I am the owner of the heavens and earth. I am the Lord of all that is, right? But in this earth, I have made you to be my co-rulers, to be my regents, to be my operatives. Um, so fill the earth with people who know me and love me. And then work to make the world flourish. Um, stamp out evil. Pull out the weeds, right? Make this world a place of beauty. Build homes, start schools, grow gardens, create jobs, write music, design parks, build hospitals and airports and bakeries and churches, especially bakeries, right? And do it all for the glory of the creator in fellowship with God and for the good of all people. The chief end of man is what? Do you know that? It's the first catechism question. Why is it the first question of the catechism? Because it's the first matter, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him, right? The chief end of man is not to glorify yourself. It's not to secure yourself. It's not to make life about yourself. The chief end we're created for is to glorify God. 
So in the garden rebellion, guess what? We lost the narrative. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and what happens? We see the result in verse four of Genesis chapter 11. God said, what did they say in the Babel incident, right? They said, God said, fill the earth. They said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be what? They said, we're not gonna fill the earth. We're not gonna be dispersed. We're not gonna spread out. We're not gonna do what you said. It's utter and open defiance of God. The building of the city of Babel um, illustrates human rebellion, the inordinate love of self. They say, come let us build ourselves a city. Not let us build a city for the glory of God, not for the advance of God's glory throughout the earth, not so that we might ultimately spread throughout. No, let us build a city for ourselves. I exist in this world to look after myself, is their ethos, right? Luther said, we are incurvitous and say. We are curved in on ourselves. Our self-absorption has a gravity that we can't um, escape, right? They said, even with God, we can determine the terms with God. We're gonna build a tower. It was a ziggurat. You know what that is? Like a pyramid uh, structure that they were going to build very high and it has stairs up to the top and a platform on top. And we will form our own religion. We will, we will worship God our way because this is our city and because it's about ourselves. Do you see it? Do you see the rebellion? See the open rebellion? God, you don't determine the mission, we determine the mission. So what was their city? What does it say in Genesis chapter 11? Come let us build a city for ourselves means they wanted to secure themselves. In a city they could seek safety in their unity and in their numbers. Build a city and don't be dispersed. Let's, uh, let's unite together in opposition to God, in opposition to any who might come against us. They have a mission but it's contrary to the creators. Now, what do we read in verse three? It says that there was technological advance, right? They learned how to make bricks, they learned how to make stone, building material, and they learned how to burn it, bake it, heat it in such a way that it was stronger than mankind had had up to that point. That meant that they could build walls, right? They could go higher with the walls. They could build the first skyscraper, which that, uh, which that religious tower was. Their walls could be thicker. Their walls could be impregnable. They could have a, um, a fortress uh, that could not be defeated. Don't trust God for your safety. Trust yourself. The building of the city. Cities are places where talents and gifts of people are concentrated, stimulating one another, producing greater arts and science and architecture and businesses, right? And they want to use the power of the city to maximize their security and autonomy. I remember the first time I drove our kids, we're driving through Virginia and I said, we're not gonna spend a lot of time in Washington, we're just gonna drive through um, DC. We're gonna drive around the mall and around all those buildings. And my kids who grew up in, in um, Citrus County, Florida, were hanging out the windows and uh, people were jogging all along the mall and there was all this activity everywhere. And my, and my oldest daughter said, can we live here? <laughs> I said, why do you wanna live here? She said, 
because they've got action. There's just action here. That's the city. You experience that. You go to New York City. You go to places. You get the, the, the energy, the drive, the, the creative initiative. You know, Let's do this. Let's gather together. But what was their aim? Let's do it for ourselves. We're autonomous. We're in charge. Let's, um, let's do it for our security. And not only that, they built the city not only for their security, but to make a name for themselves. That's what it says, right? Let us make a name for ourselves. They would get fame and recognition and respect from their achievement and their size and their wealth. They will have a name if they are great and powerful. They have a disordered desire to use the world to make themselves great, not to use their lives and gifts to glorify God and make the world flourish. See the difference? God gives a mission. Glorify me, honor the creator. Fill the earth with people who know me and love me. Cause the world to be beautiful and flourish. No, no thank you, right? We wanna have the name, glorify ourselves. They lost the narrative. And how does that work out for them? How does their mission work out for them? Well, they end up, um, they end up being scattered, right? They attempt to find life apart from God and they lose community. They did make a name for themselves. It's in verse 9, right? There's their name, Babel. Do you know what that means? We still use that word today, don't we? We might say, that person was talking what? Nonsense, like a, like a babbling what? Like a babbling idiot, we would say. They're just babbling, they're babbling words, like a little infant child would babble, just sit there. They're, they're making sounds, but those sounds don't even make sense. So they got a name, they accomplished their mission. They got a name for themselves, the babbling idiots. Um, their name. What's the fruit of rebellion against God? We see it all over the world. Rebellion against God. In Ukraine, I heard yesterday on the radio in, in, in Mariupol, city that was just liberated from uh, Russia, 20,000 civilians dead. Graves in, in Bucha, soldiers, uh, captured soldiers, tortured, torture centers all over the occupied cities. They, this gross inhumanity to man. We don't have a lot of us that still live through World War II, but we've all read about it, we all know about it. And we're living it in Europe in our day. Um, in Iran, protests in the streets against brutality, particularly repression of women. In Kabul, I saw the Afghanistan, I saw the saddest picture of a little boy sitting with his, against the wall with a backpack. It wasn't his backpack, it was his sister's because a suicide bomber had gone into a school of little girls and blown himself up and with him about 20 little girls. This is our world. This has always been our world. This is what happened when man walks away from God and his mission. And I want you to see the folly. I want you to see that there is no security. What's the wealthiest part of the state of Florida? Maybe then, maybe then uh, a little strip of land in Miami and Fort Lauderdale. It's Naples. It's Sanibel Island. 
There's no security in wealth, right? Wealthy people lived in a tower on Miami Beach a little over a year ago that fell down. There's no security in wealth. You can insure yourself. You can have health insurance and life insurance and uh, extended care insurance and car insurance and flood insurance. You can have it all. And it can't keep you from losing everything, right? You can have all that insurance. And cancer doesn't care, does it? Alzheimer's doesn't care, does it? Man's attempt to find a security apart from God is sheer folly. And a folly to make a name, the folly of making a name for yourself. I just want to say, and if there's any people, any kids here in primary school, middle school, high school, we live in a culture where we have a heightened value for people who have a name. They're famous. They're important. And you might think, that's what I want to be. I want to be somebody. I want to have a name. I just have to tell you, it's so much wiser to seek obscurity. Um, One author wrote, in an essay about celebrity life and culture, one New York journalist observed, I pity celebrities. No, I do. When God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then giggles merrily when you suddenly realize you want to kill yourself. These celebrities wanted fame. They worked They pushed. The night each of them became famous, they wanted to shriek with relief, finally. Now they were adored, invincible, magic. The morning after the night each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose of barbiturates. All their fantasies had been realized, yet the reality was still the same. The night you realize you're famous, the next morning you wake up and it's still just you. And if you have an empty heart, do you know what? Fame doesn't fill your soul. It makes it more hollow. And what does it say? All their fantasies had been realized. Back to the last screen. All their fantasies had been realized. The reality was still the same. If they were miserable before, they were twice as miserable now. Think of the names, right? Ernest Hemingway, Alexander McQueen, Kate Spade, Mark Rothko. Kurt Cobain, each one at the peak of fame and fortune committed suicide. Consider singers like Amy Winehouse, Janis Joplin, Elvis Presley, Jim Morrison, famous actor Heath Ledger, um, Anthony Bourdain. Each one also at the peak of his or her fame and fortune died died of a drug overdose. The folly of seeking celebrity. Diane and I did some traveling this summer and everywhere we went, we saw the same thing. And I thought, this is, like a, this is like a message from God. How is it that we miss this? Because the great cities of this world are filled with statues, right? They have old ancient um, uh, people that have been around a lot longer than the United States and they all have statues of military leaders and civic leaders. Oftentimes they're on up top of their equestrian statues, right? I and mean, what an honor. And yet, everywhere you go in the world, this is what those statues look like. (laughs) There, oh, famous person. And you know, by the way, you never even know who these people are. When you read the plaque underneath them, and even people in those countries don't know who they are anymore. All they are is a platform for seagulls to poop. (laughs) Seagull poop, there's your eternal name. There, you achieved it. You got a name for yourself. You're somebody, right? Um, 
very wise man told me something that, that really um, has made all the difference in my life. He said, don't, as a, as a pastor, don't seek to make a name for yourself. He said, don't have some success and then take a job at a large church because in a large church, you'll get paid well. you usually be in a big city. You might be in a nice neighborhood. You'll be surrounded by professional and, and, and um, stimulating people um, to know. And you'll become prominent because you're the pastor of that um, church. He said, no, seek the good of small places. Um, go to the obscure place, the small place, and make the aim of your life to make the church great, not yourself great. That's what God would say as well. Got it? Um, have you lost the narrative? Do you not have the narrative? It's terrible to live in the middle of the story and, and you don't even know what the story's about, right? You could regain it. You could regain it today. So let's talk about that restoration of the narrative. This is the second and final point, by the way. <laughs> there is a God, right? So what happens? How is the mission restored? Well, God intervenes, right? That's the whole point of this. The whole point is that God comes down, right? He confuses the language. He scatters the self-reliant. Why? You know, you might read this passage if you didn't know any better, and you'd say, God says... Um, Gosh, they are one people, they have all one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible to them. Is God just paranoid? These people are doing so well that God has to cripple them to make them dependent on him? I mean, what's, uh, no, God's not paranoid. Here's the deal, God loves his world. You could say, what isn't unity good? Only unity when it's for the right purpose, right? I've never seen anything more powerful in my life than those Nuremberg propaganda films that the Nazis um, uh, produced, right? I mean, there were like a million people, maybe more than millions of people. Remember those pictures of the torchlight uh, there in Nuremberg and, and incredible unity and incredible power all towards the accomplishment of what? Evil. That's what God sees. Mankind uniting uh, to destroy what he's created. And God is not passive. He intervenes. He enters the rebellion and, um, and he knows that the, the creation of this kind of uh, the city of man will further corrupt his world. God hates what destroys whatever destroys what he loves. And God loves his creation. Got it? So God intervenes. And God gives us a name, right? Our security and our identity and our worth isn't found in our achievements or our children's. It's not found in our wealth. It's not found in our nationality. You're not worth more because you're an American. You're not worth more because you're a veteran. You're not worth more because you're a Gator fan. A Roll Tide, right? Or... Ohio State, had to get that one in. Um, <laughs> our name and worth is found in one thing, that we belong to God. We are his beloved. That's it. So many of us feel insecure and worthless. It's at the core of our being. It's the effect of sin. We were cut off from God. So we act like orphans. 
And then sometimes we have people around us, particularly early in our life, who told us we were worthless. We got a name. Somebody in our church told me that their name, growing up, their father called them, their nickname, their father's words of affection for them were stupid. That's what they were called, stupid. For some it's fat, for some it's ugly. They'll never amount to anything. Searing words that name us. But God gives us a different name, beloved. This is my beloved son, he says at Jesus' baptism, in whom I am well pleased, and all who belong to Jesus by his grace are also sons and daughters of the living God, and we are his beloved. In the wedding band I gave my wife on, on our wedding day are the words of Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10. I am my beloved, and his desire is for me. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. You could etch those words on your heart. You could wear that wedding band because we belong to our beloved and his passion, his love is for us. We have a name, and let me tell you something, that name changes um, everything. Scotty Scheffler is 25 year old, a professional golfer, pretty darn good. He gets to the Masters the final day. It's Saturday night. He's got a big lead. He's going into the final day. Um, Plenty before him have gone into that final day as young people and choked away the Masters and never got another chance. It's the most prestigious um, golf tournament you can win, uh, perhaps in the world, certainly in our country. And uh, this is what his wife says to him. He says, the reason why I play golf is I'm trying to glorify God. My identity isn't a golf score. My wife Meredith told me, she told him this that Thursday night. He said he began weeping uncontrollably because of his nerves. And his wife said, if you win this golf tournament today, if you lose this golf tournament by 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, I will still love you. Jesus loves you. Nothing changes. All I'm trying to do, Scheffler says, is glorify God. See, he's on what? He's on mission. He's got the narrative. He belongs to God. Call him master's champion and put the green jacket on and nothing changes in his soul. He already has the green jacket of the affection of God. Do you get this? Get this? That's the narrative. You have a name. Now you can live out of that name. Instead of trying to please people, instead of trying to look good all the time, instead of trying to make a name for yourself with your accomplishments, instead of being a slave to your work or your family or your kids' achievements and screaming at the referees because they don't recognize that your kid is the next Mickey Mantle, right? Now you got a name. You can love your kids even if they're average, even if they're strugglers. It's okay, they're beloved too, just like you. So, you know, the queen in her passing, we've, we've been inundated with stories about this, um, this woman, wonderful woman, her life. One I heard that touched me was uh, every year at the opening of parliament, the queen comes, it's a very regal occasion. She wears uh, her robe, she wears her crown, she is ushered in, she makes her way up the stairway uh, to the, the level of the House of Lords. 
um, in Westminster, you know, she, um, 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 she, um, the guards line the hallway when she processes in. They take their swords and they strike it against the stone and it makes sparks as she walks down the hallway. It's all very British and impressive. And Well, you know, as the queen got older, she couldn't do the stairway anymore. So they started, they, they said, we've got to take the elevator now. We'll take her up to the, to the floor and she'll process down the hallway as always. But we Got to use the elevator. And they got in the elevator. The elevator operator pressed the wrong floor and they went past the, the proper floor and they went to the maintenance floor. And standing outside the elevator was Alice who pushed her maintenance cart into the elevator as soon as the doors opened and almost crushed the queen. <laughs> and when she <laughs> looked up and realized that she had almost struck the queen with her cart, well, a certain word came out of Alice's mouth. <laughs> and... So now not only killed the queen, she's now offended the queen with her um, coarse language. And, uh, and, and, and Alice, you know, shivering with fear, looks up and the queen is laughing and laughing. And the elevator operator drops the elevator down to the proper floor. And the queen invites Alice to parade with her down the hallway. Um, and do you know that for the rest of Alice's life, one time every year she was invited to Buckingham Palace for her personally by herself to have high tea with the Queen of England. Don't you wish you were Alice? You are. You are. We're a bunch of nobodies. And the King of heaven and earth calls us his beloved forever. And last then, let me say that God gives us a mission, not just a name, but a mission. What did Jesus come to do? He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. What's the mission? It's the same as Genesis chapter one. Build a people, right? Fill the earth with people who know God and love God. Build a flourishing church, a diverse community united by the love of Jesus. The world needs someone to model how people with different political parties Races, cultures, classes can love each other. And we get to be that people in the midst of this world. It's crazy to me, people say, I wanna find a church where everyone has the same political beliefs as me. No, exactly the opposite is the idea. I wanna find people of different races, ethnicities, um, uh, socioeconomic status, uh, all that, because that's the picture of the diverse family of God. How does this get reversed? It gets reversed at Pentecost, right? Pentecost is right after Jesus resurrects from the dead. He tells the, uh, uh, ascends to heaven. He tells uh, his followers, go to Jerusalem and wait there till I send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost a couple days later. And what happens at Pentecost? They were all amazed and astonished. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, the apostles who are Galileans are speaking languages from all over the world, languages they'd never studied. And, uh, and they're listening to this and they said, what's happening? Parthens, Medes, Elamites, uh, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabs are all hearing the mighty works of God in their own language. God reverses what he did at Babel for the spread of the gospel. And that's what the church is to be, the united people of God who love each other in spite of all our 
differences. You got it? Let's get this. Um, little reports we get on student ministry. Recently, Michael Puckett wrote, during worship at middle school student life, there was a new student sitting in the back of the room by themselves. Grant noticed him and walked over in the middle of the song and invited the student to sit next to him. That's all I need to know. My heart is full when I read that. How hard would it be for a kid to go to a youth group and sit by themselves and not know anybody and be the outsider? And somebody still in middle school gets it, right? Says, you come sit with me. During worship at high school student life, the guys who sit in the back put their arms around each other and they sang together. It was beautiful to see brotherhood around Jesus being formed and shaped. High school student leadership team is thriving. Students love being together. They love serving together. This is it. Not only do we build the, the beautiful church, we build a flourishing earth, right? Build a beautiful community of togetherness and love and care for each other, but we build a flourishing earth. That's our mission. That's the narrative. So yesterday I read this. Somebody in the church sends me about their son. One of my clients spent $30,000 this morning in tractor supply in Costco. Five pallets of water at 2,000 pounds each, a dozen generators, 20 plus chainsaws, can't count the tarps, 3,000 nails, fuel lights, batteries, charcoal grills, loaded up the Falcon and trailer, a U-Haul box truck, another truck and trailer, and we headed to Fort Myers in Naples for the weekend, going to see who we can help. Do you think they're maybe on mission? Somebody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to the darkness. I'm going to the chaos. I'm going to where the world's broken. And at my own expense, we're going to do what we can do. There's the narrative. Do you know in this church a number of years ago, there was a couple. They used to sit right there in the second row. Matter of fact, you knew them. Isaac and Ruth, they rented, uh, they had some rentals. They had a family staying in one of their rentals, a dad with his four kids. And one day the most horrible thing happened. The mom had been removed from the home for her drug abuse. And the mom's uh, father, the children's grandfather, came into the house with a gun and he killed the dad. And then he killed himself. And now the kids didn't have a mother, they didn't have a father, they didn't have a grandfather. Everything they had in this world, just gone. And they were renters. Isaac and Ruth didn't even know them. They're just renters. Not family, not, not even friends, not. And uh, they took them in. They're retirees. They took in four children who'd experienced this horrific tragedy. And for the next number of years, they raised them. And then as they got older, their kids took them in and, and raised them. Who does that? Who does that? The people who have experienced it. We ran from God. He pursued us. We were the Babelites. God gets us in our rebellion, and he makes us his. That's who does that. You know who does that? People on mission. Brothers and sisters, if you've lost the narrative, don't live there any longer. This is our purpose. This is our mission. God's glory, our neighbor's good. Amen.
Jesus, we would be the babbling idiots if you hadn't rescued us and given us a name, and given us a mission, given us a purpose, so that tomorrow morning when we wake up and our feet hit the floor, we're thinking, how can I glorify God today? How can I use my life today to bless my neighbor? How can I use my life today uh, to make the world that he created more beautiful? God, would you fill us with joy that we belong to you and that we have a mission? There's no one like you. You're awesome. And we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.